take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter number 10. While you're turning to the book of Hebrews, one of the things that we have um, been dealing with in dealing with churches and trying to help them after COVID is that we picked up on a couple of things that were taking place. And churches sort of had the wind knocked out of them. But we found out a lot of God's people had the wind knocked out of them. Two years of isolation, two years of being alone. I did some research and I found out that the military uh, was dealing with uh, in Iraq and other places during the Gulf War time period. And this also happened in Vietnam, but uh, it was more re uh, recorded and documented in the Middle East Wars. And it's called uh, isolation torture. And one of the things that the enemy would do is in the bottom of a warehouse or a building, they would go down to the main floor and then they would dig what they call a spidey hole. And it's usually an opening three by three, three by four, go down uh, four or five feet underground and then they would build a six by eight foot room, carve it out. And then when a prisoner got captured, they would put them in that hole. Now remember, there's no running water, there's no lights, there's no ventilation, and they then would take and close that hole and then they would put uh, carpets over the top so that it would be soundproof. And you're in a dark hole, all alone, can't see your hand in front of your face, you can scream all you want to scream, nobody's going to hear you. And the only hope you have is somebody opens up that hole and drops down a bucket of water and some bread every day or every other day, and you get a glimpse of light and a glimpse of hope. In many ways, the devil tried to put America in a spotty hole for two years of isolation all alone. Almost killed the church across America. And, and the government didn't help one bit. Our, our own government, do you remember what they did? They said, we're going to keep the bar open, the nightclub open, the abortion center open, but, you know, we need to close churches. They're dangerous. Very time we need a church, what did the federal government say? They said that the church was non-essential. That means we don't need church. And, buddy, since that day, the judgment of God and the spirit of confusion has been on our country. We're paying the price for telling God to take a hike and leave us alone. I don't know about you. I'd like to see God get back on America. I'd like to see it happen again. So tonight at the 6 o'clock hour, I'd like to deal with these subjects. I want to deal with isolation, depression, discouragement, panic attacks. Do you know anybody that's battling anxiety, nerves, or panic attacks? I'd like to deal with that biblically from the Word of God tonight. And I would encourage the balcony, the main floor, those that are watching online to please join us for a very important time in the Word of God. We need healing, and it needs to begin at the house of God. Amen. Look at Hebrews chapter number 10, and let's begin in verse number 23. Here's what the Word of God says. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And then there's a parenthetical phrase there. You see that in parentheses? 
For he, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, is faithful that promised. Then look at verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to what? To good works. And then here comes our text, verse 25. I think Brother Troy mentioned it in his uh, musical presentation a moment ago. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. And then here comes the, the power punch. So much the more as you see what? The day approaching. Father, for the next moment or two, sober us and separate us. And God, may we be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. Bring us together as one. And we'll carefully give you praise, glory, and honor. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. What we're experiencing across the country is that we have been through a systematic rejection of not only the things of God, but a rejection ultimately of God's Word. We thought it would be wisdom to get God out of the public schools. So we said, you know what, we're going to get God out of the public school and out of the public forum. And then we're going to take prayer out of school. That was the next step. We took prayer out of school. A public school can have a Halloween celebration of witches and demons and devils, but they can't have a Christmas celebration talking about the birth of Christ because we'll honor one pagan thing, but we will not honor the Lord God Almighty. And then in wisdom, we said, what we need to do is uh, the Supreme Court made a ruling and said, we'll get rid of the Ten Commandments. We don't need the Ten Commandments in the public building. We don't need it posted in the university or the college campus or in the high school, middle school, or the elementary school. We'll take the Ten Commandments down. But ladies and gentlemen, if you've watched the news lately, we might ought to put the Ten Commandments back up and say, you know, if we're killing 30 or 40 a weekend in just Chicago alone, somebody might ought to read, thou shalt not kill. And you say, well, what the Supreme Court said? Oh, I don't know if you read the ruling or not, but they said this. They said, the danger, the reason we need to take this down, that there's a danger if the Ten Commandments are posted, number one, someone may read them. Danger number two is they may be influenced by them. I think that we ought to maybe think about that we ought to put them back up, but maybe put them in the mall. Uh, that everywhere we go in the grocery store, we're reminded that we're not accountable to the sheriff or not accountable to the police or to parents or to teachers, but ultimately we're accountable to a holy God. Because that's what we've lost. We've lost morals and values and character off of our nation. And because of that, we're experiencing a tsunami of sin that has overrun our faith and the morals that our founding fathers left us and gave to us that we could enjoy. Now, if you do that, if you abandon that, then you end up trying to sail the, the ship of state over troubled seas and you don't have a compass. You don't have a moral compass. You've got to have something to guide your personal life. You've got to have something to guide your marriage. And you've got to have something to guide your family. 
And, and, and if we get that right, then we can have something to guide the church and we can guide the school and then we can guide the county and we can guide the state and we can guide the nation. But when we start chipping away at all that, then we end up on the rocks of life with death and destruction. And you are the generation for God has loved enough to let you be alive at this pivotal point in life. Now, the pounding waves that keep coming and they never let up is the pounding wave of peer pressure. And today's peer pressure is more sophisticated than ever before. You know, it's easy to say we're going to blame the teenager or blame the young adult, but you didn't grow up with Facebook. You didn't grow up with Instagram. You didn't grow up with TikTok. You didn't, you, it's unbelievable. And the bullying and the body shaming and the picking on, all of that that is relentless every single day. And, you know, they say that an uh, average teenager maybe goes to that cell phone, that smartphone, over 100 times every 24 hours, over 100 times a day. And so we're seeing this relentless peer pressure wave that keeps coming. And so if you're resetting Hillcrest Church, you've got to say there's got to be some place that our children, our teenagers, and our young adults can come and they can take a breath from the crazy world outside. And this can be an oasis of love and care and reinforcement. Early this morning, I received a text from a clinical psychologist in my hometown. And uh, he was sharing with me the fact that, ladies and gentlemen, it is such a degradation uh, uh, and a, a, a decline in families and morals and faith that now they're treating, listen to this, boys and girls with porn addiction. Both boys and girls. And he was talking about uh, a 10-year-old that's in his office, a 10-year-old child that got introduced to pornography by his older brother. What's the, I mean, and, and there's an addiction and a problem. And, and you say, well, what can we do as parents and grandparents? You can make sure Hillcrest keeps the light on in the lighthouse. And you can make sure that you're faithful, that we do not abandon church. There's a real push across the country to move away from the local church and that we'll just worship online or we'll listen on the radio or we'll watch on TV and we'll get in our jimmy jamas and drink our coffee and, and watch church. Ladies and gentlemen, God didn't mean for us to watch church. God meant for us to go to church. God meant for us to be together. And unless you're sick, disabled, or working, God expects you and me to be in the house of God on the first day of the week. We're supposed to be together serving the Lord like never before. And God has got that plan for us. Now, certain religious groups, they tell us, uh, when they're doing surveys like the Pew Foundation and others, they tell us that we are in such a battle and such a struggle. If you don't think your reset is important, they say to go down to the youth department and go to the uh, seniors class and take 10 seniors out and put them up here on the platform. And that when those 10 seniors graduate, eight of them will never be back in church. That's the national average. 
eight of them. Eli, go to the college crowd, and the national average is we take 10 from college and careers. You guys go off to college for four years. Not only is it a worse number, nine out of 10 will never come back to church. But instead of an education, it'll be an indoctrination to take you away from the God of your father and the God that blessed you when you sang and prayed. You understand, it's a struggle for the mind of another generation. If the devil can, he's going to take it away. He's going to take away the future. And, and listen, if you're a young adult, if you're a college age group, you need more than anyone that I can think of to be in church, to get in a group, to be that reinforcement, to withstand that daily wave after wave of peer pressure. It's everywhere you go. And, and, and if you try to do business, if you try to do socialize, it, it's, it's always a wave to pull you away from everything that's good. And, and Hillcrest, you've got a vision. You've got a burden. You've got the ability. You've got a beautiful campus. You've got the means. And this is the time that you can step up and go for the Lord like never before because you know that all around us are people and families that they're suffering and they need Jesus like never before. Hebrews 10, 23, look what it says. It says, let us, let us. You know what that means? That means together. <laughs> that, that's not the Lone Ranger. That's together. That means you and me, uh, that we must, uh, must hold. And it says not only to hold, but underscored it. I wrote it in my Bible, what? Hold fast. And if you hold fast, look what happens. Look what it says. If you hold fast, that means you don't give up. You don't give in and you don't give out, and you stay in the fight. Boy, it's easy to get winded. It's easy to get tired. It's easy to get fatigued. I, I remember uh, when I was, uh, came to college, I went to a, a year over in Nashville, and uh, I, I was busy in high school. I had to work all through high school, and I'd worked it out. I had a, a nice little car that I sold uh, to pay for my first year of college and get me in, and and I wasn't going to have to work. I had a, a 1957 Chevrolet Bel Air convertible, baby blue, white Hanagahide top, racing slicks, three-quarter racing cam, 283, board to 301, three two-barrels, a hearse mystery shifter, a truck rear end, a Corvette clutch. Even my dipstick in the oil was chrome. It was my God where I worshiped. <laughs> I burned a half a tank of gas going to school and a half a tank coming home. I bought a set of tires every 30 days. I put a new clutch in every two weeks. I sold that to go to school. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen? I found out that when you get off to school, you have opportunities, things you can do that you normally wouldn't get to do. And so they had tryouts for football. 
And I said, you know what? I've always wanted to play. I said I played a little uh, interleague stuff. I played for the YMCA. And uh, I said, uh, I'm going to try out. I tried out for a running back. And, and then we had to do all these wind sprints, and you know, and who was ever the fastest. And I ended up being in the uh, top three. And so I got a position. And about the third scrimmage, whoever was over the sports program thought it would be fun for these young men to play the Tennessee State Prison Team. It was not fun. It was bloody. And I hurt my knee, and so I couldn't, I couldn't run anymore. And so now I'm riding the pine, I'm sitting on the sideline, and I'm miserable. And, and uh, the next game comes up, and uh, I said, Coach, I want to play. He said, you can't. I mean, what we had you for is specialized. You can't do that. I said, well, at, at practice this week, let me, let, me, let me try out for the line. He said, look at you. You're not a lineman. I said, no, but I'm quick. And, and he said, it's your funeral. And I said, all right, all right. So we all dressed out. And he let me get up on the line. And, you know, we're playing red jerseys and blue jerseys. And, and I got down. I remember the quarterback said, Hut. But after that, it all is a blur. <laughs> because I saw these big ham hocks coming up. Up under my chin strap. And uh, I'm laying back here. And the whole world is going round and round and round. And everybody says, shake it off, shake it off. And, and so I, I shook it off. And I, I got back up there again. And I said, you know what? I'm quicker than that big guy. I, I'm quicker than him. I said, I'm just going to drop on his feet, tangle him up. He can't get to the quarterback. At least I'll be a body block. And so I remember on the way down to his shoes, his helmet was right here. And he just like a big raging bull hit me and threw me. And now I'm laying back there on the back and I'm going. <gasps> and, and these idiots gather around you and say, shake it off. And you're saying, I can't, there's no air. Everything's gone. He's collapsed my diaphragm. My lungs are empty. And I am now circling the drain to leave planet Earth. And, and he's going. Shake it off. I think if I live, I'm going to shake you off. I'm going to kill you when I get up. You know? And I had the what? The wind knocked out of me. And, and if you've ever had the wind knocked out of you, you can relate to that story, right? Because you don't have anything. You can't help it. It got you. And if we're not careful, we've allowed the devil to knock the wind out of the church. And what's the wind always a symbol of? It's the sweet Holy Spirit. And what do we need back on our services? It's the power of God. It's not another program. It's not another promotion. It's not another group in to sing. We just need God's power. And that comes in prayer and fasting and a people of faith that say, I'm going to love my children. I'm going to love my grandchildren. I want to see the power of God rest on my family and on my faith. When, when I go through this uh, 
scripture passage I see not only there, but that profession of our faith. And if you're making notes in that profession of faith, there's three things. I won't take time to go into them, but it's the proclamation of your faith. It is the power of your faith, number two. And number three, it is the possession of your faith that we all go through together. And you say, well, Brother Ralph, if I become verbal, if I become bold, uh, they'll cancel me. They'll, they'll make fun of me. They'll, they'll uh, hashtag me. And the, it, it, I just can't go through all of that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, they can't cancel you any more than they can cancel a holy God. You're a child of God. God saved you. God bought you. God paid for you with his darling son. And no one can cancel you because you are a man, a woman, a young adult, a teenager that belongs to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And that's the joy that we have today as a people of faith. When we begin to look at that, what, what's happening in the world? They're, they're politically woke but they're ultimately spiritually broke. And you are going to make that difference. And how does it say to do that in this passage? It says, without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And then it says to consider one another. Uh, if we're going to really reset, get ready for fall of the year and back to school, all of the pressures are going to be back on. Family's got to get up. We got to make sure there's transportation. Everybody's got school clothes, notebooks, pencils and pens, backpacks. And we got to get to school. How are we going to get there? And then we got to solve the lunch problem. Are we going to pack lunches, buy lunches, or steal somebody else's lunch when they're not looking, whatever the agenda might be for that day? And, and, and so all of these things we've got to go through. But God's got us to this point that he says, you need to consider one another. Don't back up. Don't quit. Provoke each other. That word provoke means I'm going to encourage you. You're going to encourage me. And, and that way we can get through this together. Verse 25 goes back into that not forsaking. Don't abandon it. Don't abandon church. And listen to me. If you, if you follow with what's going on in the world We've never needed church like we need church now. Don't, you, don't get busy on, on the middle of the week and just say, you know, I'm just too busy to go to church. I can't go back on Sunday night. Don't allow the cares of back to school and, and all that's happening to rob you of assembling yourselves together. Uh, I, I've studied in the Holy Land a lot. I've spent over two years of my life studying Israeli um, uh, Jewish customs and Israeli uh, law of the Old Testament so that I would understand my Bible. And in March, I'll be taking my 60th teaching tour to the Holy Land. Can you believe that? 60 different tours into Israel teaching. And I spent a couple of years working back-to-back on studying with shepherds, working with shepherds, because I, something kept messing with my head. Out of all the vocations in the world, out of all the jobs in the world, why did Jesus say that the Lord is my shepherd? Why didn't he say the Lord is my farmer? The Lord is my baker, you know? Why didn't he say the Lord is my carpenter, my stonemason? Out of all the vocations, God picked shepherds. There's a reason for that. 
And then later on in the Bible, we find out that he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. And then we find out he said, my sheep know my voice. Isn't that something? So I studied with these shepherds and I got so enthralled with it after a couple of years. I said, I'm going home and I'm going to buy me some sheep. And I did. I, I bought me three or four and put them up in the pasture by my house. And, and I, I raised sheep, learned about their nature, their temperament, and everything that went with them. And before I left the country, one of the shepherds called me aside. And he, he did his hand and he said, listen to me, listen to me. He said, don't buy one. I said, what? He said, don't buy one sheep. He said, it's not good for them. It's not good for them. He said, they need two or three. He said, they are healthier and happier when they're together. And then I thought, now I know. The Lord is my shepherd. We're happier and healthier if we go to church. If we're together. My sheep know my voice. And, and so I began to go through that process of, of seeing it and understanding it. And then I realized that if we come back to everything that's here, we need each other. We need to be together more. We need to go to church more. We need to sing together more. We need to pray together more. We need to fellowship together more. I, I read a story a few weeks ago about an old man. And this old man was uh, almost blind. He, he lived two blocks from the church, and he, he would walk in uh, down the sidewalk, come to church. And when he got to church, his hearing aids and were so old, and, and he, he was almost, for all intents and purposes, deaf. He couldn't hear the service, couldn't hardly see the service. And one Sunday, as he was walking in, one of the deacons standing out in the yard, and he's walking down the sidewalk, and he's coming in. And he said, Bill, Bill. He started, he said, you can't hardly see, and you can't hardly hear. Why do you keep coming to church when you're sitting in there, and you can't see what's going on, and you can't hear what's going on? He turned around and said, it's simple, son. I want my neighbors to know whose side I'm on. <laughs> and bless God, that ought to be us. We ought to get up on Sunday morning and let the neighbors and the devil know whose side we're on. And we'll be together as a family of faith. I came across something in my research I found very fascinating. You know, the government said the church was not essential. Well, uh, it says right here in this article that the U.S. Surgeon General says that we now have a public health threat, that loneliness is now a public crisis for the health of America. Loneliness. Now listen to what the Surgeon General said. The Surgeon General said it's not good for you to be alone, it's not good for me to be alone, but he said 51% of our nation identifies themselves as lonely. Lonely. And it said loneliness is so bad for the human health that it can cause health issues, stroke, heart attack, anxiety, panic attacks that come out of being isolated and alone, that you feel all alone, that no one cares whether you live or die. 
And they said it has now gotten to such an epidemic proportion that, that Pastor David says that it's the equivalent of smoking 15 cigarettes a day if you identify yourself as loneliness. Or if you identify yourself as lonely, it's the same as being 100 pounds overweight for what it does to your body. And so that Surgeon General statement was made, and one of the top psychologists in our country analyzed that, and he said, think of what we just said. Two years ago, we said, get lonely. Two years ago, be isolated. Two years ago, be quarantined. And let's get isolated, and let's be all alone, and, and be afraid of your neighbors, and, and don't go to church, and, and church is dangerous. And now all of a sudden, the Surgeon General says, almost three years later, we're in a health crisis as a nation. We got a problem. And you know what the top psychologist said? He said, Dr. Murthy released his new statement, and then Dr. Mann said, look at this. He said, loneliness increases the risk of all these physical ailments. He said, the depression, anxiety, suicide, they all premature death due to loneliness. And then I followed it to his statement on the other side from the psychologist, COVID-19 related shutdowns have made loneliness worse. What's the answer? So it's back to church. He said, go back to church. Get involved. Get involved with groups. We have to go back and really no better place to solve this problem than church. I'm glad they're catching up with church in Washington, D.C., that we can go back to the house of God and find help and strength and comfort by being together. There's no better place. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Where do you go? I just recently lost my wife after 52 years of marriage. And she died on Saturday. And I'm at the house all alone. Everybody's left. And I'm back at the house. I sit down in my recliner. Her recliner is empty. I poured a cup of coffee. Her coffee cup's on the counter. You know what I said? I said, God, I can't do this. She's my life. I mean, we were tight. You know what I played at her funeral? Temptations, my girl. You say, you're crazy. No, we were in love, and she was my girl. That was our song. I said, I can't do this. She's my breath. She's my being. I can't, I can't live. I can't go on. And through that night, God dealt with me. And I went back to what God told me in the hospital a few hours before that. I loved her so much, I had brought in specialists. I had nine doctors that had worked with her in the last few weeks of her life. And when I got to that point, the doctors looked at me and he said, Ralph, 
I don't know there's anything else. There's no other hospital, no center, no specialist. And I turned and walked out, Nathan, and I started down the hall. I went down to the empty part of the ICU. And I walked around that hall and I, I'm praying. I said, God, she's my girl. I can't live without her. And the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder. You know what he said? He said, before she was your wife, she was my girl. And he said, I love her, and I'm not going to allow her to suffer or to hurt one day, one day longer because she is my girl. And I will take care of her, and Ralph, I'll take care of you. And I walked back up the hall. And you know what that same specialist was telling me? He said, Ralph, we're going to see if she's got any brain damage. We're bringing the medicines that sedate her. He said, we're pulling them down. We're activating her breathing and respiration. And he said, I'll let you know. And so he's in there working. She's on a ventilator. She's on dialysis. Everything they can do and <laughs> And I heard him and he said, Miss Sexton, can you hear me? If you can hear me, move your right hand. Miss Sexton, if you can hear me, raise your left foot. And then I heard him say, Hey, Ralph, she's awake. Do you want to talk to her? I said, Did Jesus wear sandals? Yes, I want to talk to her. <laughs> I went running in there and I grabbed her and I started kissing on her. And, I, and the first question I asked her was this. Are you afraid? And she went, shook her old head, no. And I said, are you in pain? She shook her head, no. I said, what do you want, baby? Is there anything I can do? She pointed to that vent tube and said, pull it out. I said, baby, we can't. You've had cardiac arrest three times in the last 72 hours. They keep bringing you back. I said, we can't. We don't know if your lungs are strong enough. She rolled those big brown eyes over at me, went like that with a big eye and went. I said, what? She said, take it out. If I live, I live. If I don't, I'm going to heaven because I'm not afraid. I'm at peace. And you know what I was able to do? What did I do? That was Saturday afternoon. Where did I go Sunday morning? I went to church. Why? That's where I get help. That's where I get help. That's where I get love. That's where I had my church family. And there'll be a day in your life that you can't make it, you can't get through it, and you'll need Hillcrest Baptist Church. You'll need to say, honey, I don't know how we're going to get through this. The kids did this. The divorce over here. We lost the business here. This is a bad report from the doctor. Let's just go to church. Let's just go to the house of God. Let's just get together and encourage each other. Now, here's the sad part. A lot of us have family and friends that are out in the world, and they don't have this care package like we do. You got children and grandchildren. They're not in church today. But I'm going to tell you something. What I found out, nobody will pray for a baby like a mama will pray for a baby. 
And nobody will pray for a grandchild like a grandparent. And Hillcrest, I think we just ought to open this old-fashioned altar. And I think we ought to begin to pray, God, this will be a life-changing reset in the life of this church. You say, I got a bad knee, a bad back. Come and sit on one of these front benches. And let's pray together.